0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan. Good Who thought of this one?
0: You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast.
2: Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In for the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers.
0: Groundbreakers, history makers.
1: Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am Rana Hussein. And it's been a week of finding our inner zen and patience as we continue to wait for a start date for the AFLW, as well as news on the collective bargaining agreement. But it does sound like there's movement at the station. Do we have a start date? I don't know. I think we'll have a chat about it in a second. The AFLM, of course, trundles along with a clear gap between the haves and the have-nots with Melbourne, Brisbane Lions, Freo and Carlton sitting fairly pleasantly atop the ladder. There was some heartbreak for Essendon, a game that did spark some discussion and we will unpack all of that. But there was plenty of joy to go around as well. I want to get into it, of course, not on my own. I have some of my sister friends in the virtual studio with me. I'm going to let them introduce themselves right now. Hello, everyone. Nicole Hayes here. It's so lovely to see your faces.
3: I know, it's gorgeous. Shelly, we
1: here. Looking forward to a great pod. It's so nice. I think this is our debut as a threesome. Is that a weird thing to say? <laughs> I'm up for it. Another <laughs> thruffle. Just a, <laughs> just a pod threesome. Look, it's such a weird season for me. I don't know what you guys think. You know that saying life happens when you're busy making plans? I feel like this AFLM season has been like life and AFLM happens when you're busy waiting for an AFLW season to start. <laughs> what, I don't know, it's just not been that interesting to me. Did you have any highlights, Shelley?
3: I did, and I'm, I'm a little bit with you there, but I had young Jesse Motlop; He had his debut, and I've known Jesse. He's been in my life, like as watching him pretty much growing up from um, a little boy. You know, my son played footy with him a couple of times in the backyard at one of you know his uncle's house so it's just nice to see him as an adult getting what he wanted and, and... Coming into fruition, so that was really one of my highlights. And yes, he does play for Carlton, but you know <laughs> that's just a little bonus for me. But it is beautiful to see Jesse and his dreams coming true. That's the bit I love about AFL the most.
1: Did you get to speak to him at all?
3: No, I I haven't seen Jesse in years, but I am actually going to see him. I was supposed to go to the club a couple times this week, but didn't get there for various reasons
1: so I'm hoping and looking
0: forward to talking to him. And how exciting for him to be joining a club that's doing so well at the moment.
1: What a rush. Oh, no. Blue cool. <laughs> oh, flaggers. What about you, Nicole? Any highlights? I think be, it was a bit of a weird
0: round, wasn't it? But I was really excited to see the Suns get their, well, really a second kind of upset match mm. in defeating Freo, flogging them really, like more than double their score. Um, it was a, of a messy game, slippery and muddy and, and all of the things um, up there on the Gold Coast. But two highlights for me, probably the, the standout is Mabio Chol and his four amazing goals. I think he had 10 disposals, four goals, two, a couple of goal assists, four tackles, four marks. Like he just really played some of his best football since he's left the TIGs, but also I loved how, so he's a natural left footer, and the first three of his goals were on the left, including an impressive crumbing for off the pack for a very <laughs> tall man, really impressive. And yeah. well, that was his uh, second goal, I think. But also his fourth one was a right foot snap. And I know it's a bit of a truism about being able to kick on both sides of the. Mm. of the body but actually a lot of players can't do it that well no and they really can't they really can't and I remember my dad who was a, a real student of the game would always said to my brother who had pretensions of being a, <laughs> a player when he was a kid saying if you want to separate yourself work on both sides of the body you know if you can do that Everybody talks about it, but hardly anyone does it. And he was ambidextrous himself because he was a lefty and was forced to do everything with his right. So he was the king of that. You know, it was just great to see such an athletic, amazing performance from Mabio Chol and really clearly having fun with the Suns. It's really lovely to
1: see. Love the the white streak. Um, easy to spot him on. <laughs> It's very Wesley Snipes, don't you reckon? <laughs> it's, I, it's, it's really, it's really a got it going
0: on, so I'm delighting in that. And, of course, he had a lot of support from Isaac Rankin, who was everywhere. He was unstoppable, um, and I reckon played his best game for the Suns too. So really exciting for, the, for Gold Coast. They haven't had a lot to celebrate in the last few years, so that was a really nice win for them.
1: As much as I was sad to see Mubs leave the Tigers, You do think, like you can see how happy he is up there at Gold Coast and that he's kind of getting his time in the sun, pardon the pun. (laughs) Um, I have a similar highlight to you, Shelley, in that I was just so proud to see Biggie Nguyen debut um, for Richmond he is a beautiful young man that I got to meet um, when he first came to Richmond and he just, he was a breath of fresh air in that he is one of those people that just can't help but be themselves and I was really just hoping that I would get to see his debut and of course we did. And he was himself on field, which was just beautiful. Um he had Ooh. that, you know, beautiful goal stop. Um he stopped a goal at one point and really just supported by his family, all the newans and his sister who's prominent as well, um, in the media, lawyer Na- Nyadol newen. Just beautiful. I-, I agree with you, Shal. Those debuts are the best. It kind of gets you in all the fields. Uh, but <laughs> Nicole I have been waiting to have this chat with you because we haven't actually been able to catch up recently, but I've been dying to ask you about umpiring because of all of us (laughs) out of St. I reckon you're the one who's probably got the biggest bee in your bonnet about umpiring. And so I need to just clear the decks and ask you, what are your thoughts?
0: This feels a bit like therapy. (laughs) Um, Thank you for indulging me. I understand how hard it is to umpire and this is not actually about the umpires but the rules because the umpires are doing the best job they can to interpret those rules but the two the 50 meter penalty particularly the descent rule and also the play on rule which so the descent rules becoming absurd where you're seeing players who are actually just throwing up their arms, often in frustration with themselves, not even Mm. in protest or or dissent. And how you can tell the difference anyway, it's such an instinctive reaction to when you screw up. The idea that that's somehow, you know, a contest or an insult to the players or in some way undermining, to the umpires, I'm sorry, or in some way undermining them, it's really frustrating. I am 100% on them not being allowed to argue with umpires. But I think if you're going to make this rule work, I think you need to give the player a warning. Because if they're really you know, before you do that. I think, you know, that instinctive response to the the whistle going is not the same thing as someone standing up and arguing with an umpire. And mm. they can keep that rule, but, you know, in the same way that they have in the, the 666 rule, have a warning option because the game stopped anyway. So it's not going to be a problem where that's concerned. I know that slows things down a little bit and that is the point of the protest, but it's not going to slow it down much more than it already has. And the other one that's frustrating is the play on uh with 50 where you're seeing because the umpires have... been instructed clearly to respond faster and implement more 50 meter penalties almost every player who gets a free kick goes through this facade of pretending they're going to handball deliberately to draw an opposition player towards them which instantly gives them a 50 meter penalty that is actually a delaying tactic that is actually defeating the purpose of what the 50 meter rule is meant to to move things along it's it's becoming a joke, and I think it's equivalent to the staging rule. They're effectively Mm. faking. There's no intention of them handballing. They're taking the piss, frankly. It's impossible for a player to defend that. I just think they need to be a little bit more cautious about how often they give away that 50 metre
1: in that situation. Is anyone with me on that? Uh, Look, I'm not one for rules in general, so (laughs) 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 I struggle with any rule chat. I will say that the descent rule gets me. I'm not a fan I understand it intellectually, but I feel like in practice it's just not working. Shelly, I'm interested to know you've got a young fella who plays footy and whether you think that that descent rule is important to kind of filter down to junior leagues because that's kind of the what often gets said right what do you think he doesn't play footy
3: anymore oh. he's turned into a little surfer oh. he um yeah so footy wasn't his his um thing but it definitely we're looking at rules and they're our role models so we want the children that are watching them to play like them so if they're not doing the right thing then we do see that very much mirrored within the junior leagues i don't have a problem with rules i have i would I listen to you nicole i wonder if your situation that you're concerned about is more of a player problem. If they're doing all of these things to bend the rules and carry on like pork chops, then isn't that a situation the players are having having to deal with? Like isn't that we should be talking to them because the umpires are basically doing their best. I'm, I'm a real advocate for the umpires because I'm like, you can't have an umpire, <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a game. So I'm, I'm a little bit in a different camp with you there. I do get frustrated sometimes, but I do definitely control myself in that frustration but and we're all human we're gonna go I've I've watched those umpires and thought how how can you in that millisecond make a decision so I've never put my hand up I couldn't put my hand up because I just wouldn't be good enough but I I think it's a problem we've got with players and it's a conversation they should be having at that level within clubland
0: Do you think though, Shell, I agree with you on uh, that, that it is the players are actually making absolutely taking the piss out of that rule, just the standard play on 50 meter penalty. But do you not feel like the stifling of player reaction, like that instinctive reaction is taking some of the joy and theater out of the football, out of the game and suppressing their personalities to not even like they're on (laughs) the ground for whatever reason they've been tackled. They've given up for holding the ball and they just literally just throw their arms out or they look at the scoreboard or whatever. Really, that that's somehow, I don't know, a challenge to the umpire. Yeah, I, no, I feel like we're losing some of the fun.
3: I get that totally, but I'm a person who pretty much walks through life controlling myself. So, <laughs> um, I,
0: <laughs> you know, there are times
3: when I want to raise my hands and carry on and look over at someone and go, are you kidding me? But I can't, you know, so... I don't know. I think we have to have an element of control of ourselves, and and I've watched too many times over and over again young children playing, and just thought, if that guy for Essendon would just stop doing that, or that guy at Collingwood would just stop doing that, or even at Carlton, even you at think Carlton. maybe then it wouldn't filter down, but. I don't know I have so much control in my life for when things piss me off it's not funny so <laughs> I can't see why they can't
1: what's your strategy because you don't have an umpire to yeah. give you a penalty how do you I need a little bit of self-control too in my life so <laughs> maybe we could talk off how you can give me i t- talk off so yeah. I'm full tips. of strategies we'll, we'll tweet tip. them <laughs> It's interesting that you brought up self-control, though, because I do want to talk about something that's come up in the news this week in regards to the Essendon Football Club and behaviour of players in particular in white line fever. So shall we roll up our sleeves and Malay ladies? Let's go. Yes. There's been a lot of conversation about aggression and the importance of physically asserting dominance on the field or literally pushing back if you are disrespected. And I wanted to unpack some of this with both of you and we've just sort of tread on that topic a little bit already. I have to say I had my eyebrows raised for a lot of this chat this week and I'll start with you, Nicole, because an article about placid men caught your eye.
0: Yeah, so Jake Nile wrote a really interesting article in The Age that looked at some of the three players in particular who were quite renowned for being hard and even ruthless on the field, but in his experience and were reported to be very calm and sensible and rational off the field, Neil Baum, Lee Matthews, and a more recent example is Shane Mumford. Each of the players talked about why they would do it is they believed it was their role in the team, that it was just their job. This is a sort of language they used. Matthews actually said, You know, rightly or wrongly, at that time, and it's a different time, it was war. And he says it was kill or be killed. And that's the attitude he went out with. And the attitude that was expected, he believed, at the time, obviously, each of those players, especially Baum and Matthews, ended or had moments in their careers that were, even at the time, considered pretty appalling. I think what's interesting is that that same notion of doing it for the team and your role in the team was being picked up by Matthew Lloyd in his criticism of Essendon, in particular an incident with Luke Parker and Dylan Shields where... Parker taunted and mocked them, basically implying that they were weak and that they were afraid. And Lloyd's response was that basically saying that that's not how, you know, you, you can't be intimidated. You have to show aggression. You have to stand up for your team. They used the language about drawing a line in the sand, which for everyone playing at home will remind them of the line in the sand game. There's actually two, but the original one was 2004, both Hawthorne and Essen matches. Even at the time that game was considered reprehensible. The story goes that Dermot Beryton tried to amp up the Hawthorne team because we were being flogged, and as we were a lot that season, tried to amp them up by saying, you know, you've got a history with this team, you know, we're, we're, we're enemies, they're enemies, you've got to draw a line in the sand. And the underlying message was, of course, having come from Dermot Beryton, one about physicality, that they were being outplayed. So here's a way to force their way back into the game. We were flogged by 78 points that day. So it clearly didn't work. And Richie Vandenberg got done for six weeks. There was a melee that went on for five or six minutes. I think there was something like 17 weeks of suspension amongst the various players, $70,000-odd dollars in fines. I mean, it is not a point in our history we want to reference. And I think what's more telling is that there's another game, another Hawthorne-Essendon game in in 2009 that is more pertinent to, to Lloyd where he was actually playing. Essendon invoked the line in the sand rule. However, he kind of changed the, the shape of the game by ploughing straight into Brad Sewell at the time. And, you know, he's a big man and he was says he's aim- he was aiming for the chest, but his shoulder hit Sewell in the head. And if anybody's seen, I don't know if you've seen that footage, it's one of the most horrible things to see. Sewell is seizing. He is is unconscious before he hits the ground. It's actually horrific. The notion that Lloyd would reference that would would actually say, yes, that's what I mean when asked if he's talking about drawing a line in the sand, that he would reference that as a point of, of the, the kind of football he wants Essendon to play, even in oblique terms, is completely unacceptable. I'd like to draw a line in the sand over the line in the sand. I want that game, <laughs> which would kind of make it across. And and anyway, when the wind blows, it disappears. So It's a terrible metaphor. But I think we need to stop referencing aggression as being a necessary part of the game. Physicality and aggression are not the same thing. It just kind of reinforces how out of touch some of these ex-players are. The contemporary player has no truck with that. And I saw it perfectly played out on Fox. One of the Fox shows where they're wearing sports coats and white runners. There's a few of them. The one with the couch.
1: The couch. I reckon that's what it's called, actually. I think
0: it is something (laughs) with a couch. Anyway, there's definitely a couch and the runners and the sports (laughs) jacket. And Dyson Heppel was on there, basically representing mm-hmm. Essendon. Um, and Gary Lyons played the whole Matthew Lloyd thing out and, and showed him the footage of the game and, and Luke Parker's taunting and said to him, so what do you think about that? Dyson Heppel said, well, it's the first time I've seen it. I certainly didn't see it when we were playing in the heat of the moment. I don't have any feelings about it. I'm not going to. We're not going to risk a free kick. We're not going to risk a 50-meter penalty. That's just not how we do things. Lyons really pressed him on what the response was by the team. And he said, Look, I haven't talked about it. Look, We haven't been at the club. Oh, I'm going in tomorrow. And it just reminded me like how desperate uh, it seems for these ex-players to continue to force themselves into the game somehow. And the contemporary players know better. They know what you know, what they're meant to do, what's expected of them.
1: I have so many thoughts. But Shelley, you were nodding, nodding along just then. What did you make of all this?
3: Agree with every word said. And as a team, make a statement, play hard as a team and ignore the crap, win the game. That's what we want to see. With Luke Parker, I cannot believe that Matthew carried on the way that he did. It should have been about what Luke Parker did, Mm. you know, and the way that he carried on and the way that his behaviour was poor. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Children are watching. That's pretty much what I've got to say. I think Nicole said it all. I thought it was great. That's
1: really interesting because I listened to Gary Lyon on that couch blazer boots show um, and it really struck me watching, listening to what Matthew Lloyd was saying and what he expected of Dylan Shield and then looking at what Luke Parker did, pairing that with Gary Lyon's words, which was it was hard to watch, the thought honestly the thought that came <laughs> came into my head was how precious are these men if that's what's hard to watch I get it he was being rude and I would I would hate that happened to me but I also kind of went oh the amount of gestures I've been given <laughs> in life and the amount of times people have tried to humiliate me or make me feel weak my response isn't violence back at that <laughs> <laughs> I wish our listeners could see what you just gave me, <laughs> Shelley. Where? Um, but no, I don't know what you're talking do you know about. What I mean, like, there's a kind of masculinity that is so fragile in the face of perceived humiliation, and I—that's what I heard from both Matthew Lloyd and Gary Lyon, and that's what's really struck me in this, uh, which is very separate to the article from Jake nile which talks about the way to win and the way to dominate is aggression and is brutality. And I guess for me, a question that did come up was, and you sort of said it, Nicole, that there's physicality versus aggression. And I do wonder, does our game need a degree of aggression? Is there a part of this, you know, are we actually neglecting something that is a core part? of the way the game is meant to be played.
3: Yeah, like when my son was playing football, we would say go hard at the ball. If mm. you don't go hard at the ball, you get hurt. That's just pretty much if you're standoffish and you're not confident and you're going for that and aggressive towards the ball to get the ball in that, you know, sportsmanship kind of way, there is going to be a problem for the person going for the ball. You're going to get hurt. But it's part of the play because the play is fast and the play, play is moving. So that's that's where that comes into in a positive way within play.
1: mm The other thing that's really alarming to me about the idea of when you cross the white line, then you can be a lot more aggressive than you would off field. And that's what that article talked about. You know, Neil Baum is a real kind of, he's a bum for <laughs> football clubs. I think the reference was made. And that off field, these really kind of responsible, mature adults, but as soon as they were on field, there was a license to behave badly. And the thing that really is jarring for me about that is the idea that you can separate out violence like that. And so if you can mentally make a leap, that violence is okay in a particular context then what does that mean does that mean that you are able to make that leap in other ways and I sort of that kind of terrifies me and and you know that I've heard that before from people in my life you made me feel angry so I xyz you made me you know because you triggered me because you antagonized me I behaved xyz and I just that just doesn't sit well with me and I like as much as I said earlier, you know, and I'm not a big fan of rules. I like the idea of rules around physicality and aggression, because I think that's what really does separate this for me.
0: I mean, I think it's really important to remember there is adrenaline when you're actually playing and in the, the heat of the moment, there are going to be mistakes made. But what Lloyd's talking about is something premeditated. He's talking about making a point and as you say that notion of you know intimidation and that um mocking is somehow a slight and that is a greater evil than hitting somebody unnecessarily <laughs> is extraordinary to me i don't know you know it, i cannot make the connection on a logical level yes there's inevitable aggression it's how it's controlled it's how it's targeted and realistically the players the contemporary pl- player today is fully professional. They do yoga, they do meditation, they have all kinds of conditioning, but also on a practical level, they want to prolong their careers. And so that's not just about not getting suspended. It's also about not getting injured. It's also about you know protecting their heads. The game is trying to sustain itself as long as it possibly can. And and of course, there's a whole conversation about how practical that is in the long term. But right now, you know, the players want to get as many games out of this, you know, their career as they can. And so the idea that they're going to break something of themselves or potentially risk harming someone else just to save face is absurd and completely out of touch. I'm Chelsea Roffey. You're listening to The Outer Sanctum.
1: So this weekend sees the beginning of the now two rounds we call Sir Doug Nichols round. Without a doubt, it's the best time of the season, even through covid with not much else going on that was good. So Doug Nichols round, Sean. It's also been amazing to see how it's grown and the pride you see with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people really kind of being loud and proud about culture and community throughout the storytelling and the jumpers. I, I love it all. And I think there's no doubt it's one of the things that the league is getting right. What I'm about to say isn't a but to that. It's more of an and or an also. I feel a little bit of discomfort, particularly in the wake of Haritila Mumba's public statements and storytelling about his experiences in football, those of Leon Davis's and Andrew Cracker's as well, and even reflecting on Adam Goods's time or, or Cyril Rioli's comments as well. I've sort of been reflecting on The discomfort I always feel when it comes to the way we celebrate representation and culture, but tend to neglect the hard work of dismantling the culture and systems that are harming black and brown people in our game as well. I always find a little bit of tension between the celebration and the need for more work to be done. And I know that both of those things can be held together. And on the weekend, cricket great Andrew Simons passed away. Many of us will remember his story as being one of many ups and downs as well when it comes to racism. Simon's experienced racial vilification by an Indian player and that was heartbreaking and I won't repeat the comments we all know it all you know we can google it subsequently when the banning of Harbajan Singh was overturned it became evident it was so that cricket Australia could save face and money basically the ICC banned the player that racially vilified Andrew Simons and then in appeal it was overturned and Daniel Bredig uh, wrote a beautiful piece in The Age about this um, and he talks about how Andrew Simons felt humiliated after that because the system that was supposed to back him didn't. He was left reeling from that. And I can't help but think that we now live in a sport culture where we will both celebrate the diverse cultures and identities, especially when they perform for us, while we simultaneously turn away from the very real inequities and trauma and harm that these systems bring. I was also really lucky to spend some time with Craig Foster, renowned humanitarian and soccer player, who spoke recently to a group of women's sports journalists about the importance of human rights and centering the athletes' rights over representation. And his challenge to us was that, While representation is useful and very necessary, it isn't going to actually create the change itself. And I do wonder if representation is maybe the door of change and centering human rights is how we walk through it. And I think this comes up a lot with sexism and racism and homophobia that we are nailing representation but without centering human rights or the rights of the athlete. Um, and a conversation around discrimination, we're actually not really changing anything. It's a little bit of a curly one, but I wanted to throw that out there and see what both of you think.
0: It does remind me a little bit of what's happening at Hawthorne and this whole notion of Cyril reconciliation with Cyril and how it has become focused on him and not the necessary broader cultural change and this idea that if he is okay then they are okay and what they have done will be okay and I don't I don't know what's happening at the club to address the more systemic issues I imagine like everywhere else it's not going to be enough because it isn't happening in a really structural or fundamental way on the level it needs to be almost anywhere, I don't think, in terms of addressing those deep-seated biases and challenges. But I also think the, the idea that loading all of that responsibility of their ideas of what is reconciliation and what is acceptable in terms of the treatment of Indigenous Australians on one player and his response to them is, I think it's disingenuous. I think it's inappropriate and unfair in many ways, but it's also, it's not going to accomplish the sort of change that you're talking about, Rana.
1: I feel like there's two schools of thought or ways of working around this stuff that we see in the sports system where there's a conversation around incremental change. Bit by bit, if we chip away at it, we will see the change we want to see. And that's through the growth of things like You know, themed games and more representation, which I'm always a champion of. And then I'm seeing another kind of conversation come in where there is a call for more radical action and, you know, bringing in something like a UN human rights framework that you sign up to and you hold yourselves to, and that that is what it might take to actually see change. And if we sort of center an athlete experience, rather than, you know, what is the fan experience of, of different cultures. If we actually centre a conversation about what does the athlete go through, we might see quicker change than we have to date.
3: Yeah, I think it's that lived experience that you talk about and we've talked about many, many times, you know, hearing those voices. Yeah, I see these games and Indigenous rounds, the Doug Nichols round as an opportunity to celebrate. And, you know, like I, as a child, These things weren't part of my childhood. So, you know, I take these as really valuable moments, you know, where Taj, this is a part of his life. You know, he's going to get to be a part of the Guard of Honour at the Carlton game on Friday night, you know. So he gets to take a friend and, and, you know, it's a non-Indigenous friend that he's going to share that moment with and that's all part of it. Yeah, So to me it's a really special time and I spend all of my time other than this week thinking about all of those things that you are talking about you know and so I try to take that away from this round and I just try to celebrate and I try to to let others see the beauty within our culture because I think for so long and so many hours of the day people are looking at the negative part of our culture or the perceived and stereotypical things that people have in their head thank you media for that I love that we just stop celebrate the beauty and then I hold my breath for a period of time for reports about some asshole that's been racist during it so that comes after mm. the celebrations and i hope that this year is a year where we don't see that and i hope that this year with all of the things that are put in place with the online safety act that you know they're dealt with differently mm. and in a harsh way so i've got my celebration socks hat <laughs> pants jean jacket coat everything ready to go so i'm going out to have a party
1: And Shelley, (laughs) do you want us to have a party with you or is this a time for for your communities to be kind of front and centre? It's front and centre
3: and it is time to celebrate the beauty within our culture that we often don't look at and that's what I want people to do.
0: It's it's my favourite round. Like it's, it's so beautiful so, yeah.
1: too, and it's
0: just it's so exciting and I don't know. Yeah, you're right. We don't get to see anywhere near enough of our First Nations culture in highlighted in that way in front and centre. So, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I agree. But it is, like you said, that doorway. Mm.
1: This round is not for the hard conversation necessarily. I think it's almost like we can't have this round and then for the rest of the year not try and make other things better. Oh, 100%. Well, the AFLW collective bargaining agreement has been heating up. The discussions are continuing. It does sound like we are getting some movement now with the AFLW website reporting there have been some breakthroughs in negotiations and that a start date is imminent. Whether we do get that information in the coming days as we're now hearing, the breakthroughs haven't come without a tussle and a lot of waiting. AFLW megastar at the College football club sabrina frederick recently took to social media to express her frustrations with the weight so we thought we'd get her on to be frustrated with us <laughs> and tell us how she's been seeing things welcome to the sanctum sabs Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you here. Sabs, tell us, you did post on social media that things were getting a little bit frustrating. Tell us about mm. that.
2: Yeah, well, um, I it's, it's, it's funny, actually, because probably two weeks prior to that, I had something written up um, <laughs> that I was oh. going to put out. And it's funny because I think my wife sort of talked me down in that moment Two weeks later in the same situation, I think I just got to a point where I feel felt like, I don't know, I just needed to say something. Um, I think more so because I know so many of, of my teammates and, and friends that are, that are players in the competition are getting to a point now where um, it's really starting to affect them. So I was starting to see that and hear rumblings of that and I think it just got to a point where I felt like I wanted to be the voice of reasoning for a lot of us players that are a bit frustrated and, and maybe not have the right words to to come out and say something. So it's sort of for me anyway. It, we're six seasons in, and we're at a point now where you would think this wouldn't happen. <laughs> um, you know, we shouldn't be a few weeks out from a proposed starting preseason date that we don't know without a CBA. Yet we are here. <laughs> So I ch- I sort of just came out and said, in my eyes, I think it's ridiculous that we're supposedly starting in what three weeks, well, that we know uh, without a date, without a CBA, and in that time frame, we're expected to have trade and sign period done and a draft, which is not enough time at all, in my opinion. I, I put that out there, and I-, I had a lot of positive response from the players ultimately and, and a lot of, of friends of mine too that are that are sports people and sports women out of aflw as well really got behind it and said you know it is a shame that this is happening
0: subs you talked about some of your teammates there's a bunch of players out there in limbo at the moment uh one of the most egregious examples of that would be sarah Rowe, who's mm. literally in ireland right now have you heard from her she i mean she had to make the really tough decision to quit Gaelic football or any of your other teammates who have really specific frustrations that have affected other parts of their life
2: yeah, Sarah Rose, a massive one because she lives on the other side of the world and um, mm-hmm. she's actually on holiday at the moment travelling with some of my other teammates so they're actually they're having a good old time but it's also I think from their perspective it's, they don't know what they're coming back to. Like, could they extend their travels as well? And I think we are probably one of the luckier ones that our club was very firm on making sure we had our downtime, irrespective of what was going to happen, because it's been such a crazy two years for all of us. And our club didn't really know what was going to go on, but they did know that if it was going to be starting in a few weeks, we deserve some quality time off. So I think we were lucky that they were very firm on that, having some proper time off. But with her, you know, her whole life is in the balance, really. She doesn't know if she should it should be staying home longer or, or if she's going to be getting on a plane in a couple of weeks. So that's a massive decision to make for someone who has half of their life on the other side of the world. With all the other players being out of contract right now, I would hate to be in that position. For me personally you know, I'm about to become a parent and it would be nice to know if, like our due date's in a few weeks. So it would be nice to know what's going on for my my personal life. And that's just speaking on, you know, the fact that we have other commitments out of, you know, work commitments outside of football. I'm lucky that, you know, I pretty much work for myself, but I would hate to be telling my employer I might be starting pre-season in three weeks and my season in August, or I might not be. <laughs> like I, I, I don't, I would hate to be having that conversation with an employer because in the end of the day, they don't really owe you anything. I would hate to be in those situations.
1: Sabs, we talked about the CBA and of course the start date is a big issue, as is season length. And we've heard that that's another conversation that is being had. What are you hearing about what People want from the CBA, and what do you
2: want from the CBA? Well, for a start, I think that this start date of being in August doesn't allow a proper, fair CBA to be struck. In my opinion, CBAs take a long time to be negotiated, and I really don't think there's been enough time to be considered. And I think in the end, it'll, someone's going to fall short because we're not going to get enough time to really both parties get what they want, in my opinion someone's gonna lose something from what they want but in terms of the playing group you know they always want to be playing more games (laughs) they you know we love we love the game as a majority we love the game we love playing as long as we're compensated for for that amount of time we we definitely want to play more games especially because we're bringing in four more teams so it only makes more sense but me personally I it's it's gonna get really tricky in the next couple of years because our commitment is growing more and more and it's it's sort of like we're growing past the point of part-time now that's a tricky position to be in because it almost gets to a stage where you're committing more than part-time and it's going to affect other commitments like other workplaces and study and things like that and as soon as you dive into that realm without the financial compensation to just solely focus on that it's you're going to have players that Will have to be forced into making a decision because it's it's a tricky one as it is at the moment. You talk about we've seen other players talk about. I think Libby
0: Birch wrote about being um, full time athletes but part time employees. Really, the, how's this affected your preparation? I know some teams had a good break because they didn't make finals or whatever. You know, a lot of players can't take that much time off for that shorter season and stay in condition what what sorts of things are you hearing and, and what are you doing to manage your fitness and to be ready for the pre pre-season or to, to maintain a pre pre-season
2: before the real thing starts this idea of us being athletes six months of the year is just ludicrous we have to make sure that we're in a good condition 12 months of the year We can't, we can't just let ourselves go completely when the, I would love to do that. I'd love to just switch off completely when the season, you know, ends, but it'd be a hell of a lot of work to get back if we did that. So this idea of being part-time athletes, like it's, it's not true. We all, we all put in work 12 months of the year. I can only speak on behalf of, you know, me and my teammates. Like we really have had a rough, couple of years with COVID it's been really hard this season just gone was one of the hardest seasons I've ever endured players coming in and out and just mental health and it's been a real struggle so for us I feel like we had to really really force ourselves to have that break which as a competitor you don't want to have that break if we have pre-season in a few weeks because you know that Other teams might not be and they're going to get the jump and that's a decision that we had to make because mentally I think we really needed to. But there would be, I know for a fact that there would be players that have probably had a week off, probably still training at a really high standard. How long would that last? I don't know, sustainably you know injuries like i don't know what's that what that's going to do because like i said we're not athletes part time we <laughs> we we are full time athletes we just get paid part time Absolutely, that is so true. The
3: thing that's bothered me has always been that the change of the season, like that start time and here we are again with another change. Do you hope this is the final change and are you happy with an August start?
2: (laughs) I think long-term I'm happy with the August start. Honestly, I wish that it was next year so we had time to adjust just because, like I keep saying, the last two years have been a lot for everyone in general but for this playing group, it's been a lot. So yeah, I'm 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 not against the August start date in general because it gives us the holiday period with our families, um, which is something that we've always wanted. And also in terms of temperature, it helps. It's a little bit colder. <laughs> so that that so as true. well. But yeah, I just would have I just would have hoped that we're given time to adjust. And yes, I do hope that it's the last time it changes.
1: Sabs, you've been part of AFLW from the very beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Are you where you thought it would be or are we where you thought it would be six years in?
2: I mean, I definitely had belief that this was going to kick off the way it did because I know the athletes that are, are putting that product out there on the park. Like I know how incredible these athletes are. So I knew it was going to grow at this rate. I probably would have told you two years ago that I reckon we could have made the switch to full time within three with what we can produce, with what we've got. I feel like we're at a stage now and anyone that's business savvy will know that when you have a product that is growing at such a fast rate, you have to scale or else it won't continue to grow. And we're at that point now where you, I feel like something needs to be invested in to scale it so we can continue to put more effort in to continue the continue making the product as good as it is and yeah we're at that point now with like every other startup comp- company that ever existed it's going to be through this period that's going to be really testing I hope that something changes soon. There is clearly some sticking points. I don't know what
0: the communication's been like with the players who aren't actually part of the negotiation. What are you hearing? What do you think are the, the key issues that are holding things back or have been up until now anyway?
2: I think it's mainly the length of the CBA, I think, is is, is the main one, the length of the CBA, because we know that this CBA is going to be so important in setting up the next one to be full-time. And I think that that's why it's been really, really important for us as a playing group. We have an internal goal to be full-time by 2026. That's, that's what we want. This CBA is, is going to be that in-between part that's going to allow us to efficiently get there. So that's why, in my opinion, it's being held up because that's something that we strongly believe needs to get right for then the next one to be at the level where we can make that transition I think like the games the amount of games and stuff obviously that's something that we always want as well but I genuinely think the main sticking point is 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 the length of it
1: Sabs you mentioned that you're about to become a parent
2: Mm. uh how are you feeling about it super excited and and nervous as well but it's it's funny though because i feel like that's probably the honestly the main stick that i have with all of this is since making that transition into into parenthood this is why we have to stick up for what we believe in and what's fair because this is going to impact the future generations like if my daughter ever wanted to play afl I hope that I can look back and go, I'm so proud of the stance that I made to give you the opportunity now. And I think that's why I'm I'm being this way because I, I feel so personal about it. And it may not be my daughter. It might be someone else's, but I just feel like it is that. That's the main drive that I'm having right now is as someone who's about to become a parent, I just want to make sure that she has every opportunity to do what she wants to do in the future.
1: Well, that strength of conviction always comes through whenever you speak, Sabs. Thank you for always speaking up and thank you for being here to speak to
2: us today. No, thank you for giving me the platform and, and always being lovely. I, it's honestly the one that the one time I'll be open and honest is with you ladies.
1: <laughs> oh, I love you. Well, we'll have to just get you back again on a few topics, I reckon. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, ladies, I think it's time for some final business. I'll kick things off. I just wanted to shout out to Cheryl Critchley, who is the president of the AFL Fans Association. She has penned an article for The Age about the evergreen debate around the AFL M Grand Final Day versus Eve debate. Oh, my goodness. It comes around every year, doesn't it? And Cheryl has written yet again a beautiful article advocating for a day AFL M Grand final as a reward for fans and i just think it's well worth a read and well done to cheryl for getting that out there yet again nicole you've had some player movements in an amazing way i suspect the separate the sub whatsapp chat group of outer sanctum hawthorne fans (laughs) is going off Tell us a little bit, who, who have you acquired? Well, it's going off the
0: back of Sav's uh, conversation. It's really interesting because all of these players have been acquired, but none of them can actually sign anything. But but let's just mm. take it at their word. And <laughs> um, The Hawks have been very quiet with their recruiting for the most part until very recently, um, and they had a, a pearler of a day. They've signed St. Tilly Lucas Rodd. Jess Duffin from North and mm. uh, Janet Baird from the Suns, but I'm especially excited about um Don't Tig's say it. Don't th- say it.
3: I've got, I've got <laughs> two very <laughs>
0: exciting sightings, which which are out there in the public now. So, um, but we have a catch who's come across <sighs> from the Tigers, and my favourite whose number I used to wear in the VFLW, Sarah Perkins from Gold Coast, is officially a hawk again. She's come home and we have a little tribute to her that we might use on socials. (laughs) Care of Kate Sear, but hold on for that. And if we don't hear it, hit us up on socials to demand it because it's definitely worth a listen.
1: (laughs) What a coup. There are hearts breaking all over AFLW land with some of those gets, but... Amazing. Amazing to see. Perko's huge. I can't wait to see that. And reunited with Beck. Beck oh, Goddard. So that's wow. pretty cool from there Amazing. the inaugural seasons. Very exciting congratulations hawkers very happy for you very sad for us Shelly you wanted to mention a beautiful campaign that's just come out
3: yeah so Neil Danaher has been the strength and the voice behind the motor neuron disease foundation is sadly losing his voice but he's still fighting on trying to raise money to fight MND you can get a beanie and we are a month off the actual round the eighth annual big freeze match that will happen at the gym we'll talk about that again but It's a time where if you don't buy a beanie, because some of you may have a beanie, like Try and think of some ways that you can get a donation together and take the months, you know, what can you do as a community member to fight this disease and as an AFL community member. It's pretty special to us and, you know, I just think if we start to put our thinking hats on and get behind this.
1: I really urge you all to go and look at that video. It is so beautiful and really uh, quite emotional. And, yes, you're right, I have about three blue beanies, so I will definitely be donating um, and leaving the beanie to the side but get involved any way you can I think that's it for us thank you so much for being here I think there's really only one thing left to say and that's go, go, go body. Body.
3: even on a budget